1: Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And we are back with the second half of what we are calling a crime pairing here at TDPS.
0: Right? It, we Last week we did True Crime TV Club and it was an episode of, what was the show? The Crime That Changed <laughs> Us or something like that? The, the Crime cr- That Completes Me? The Crimes That Changed
1: Us. Yeah, I think is what it's called. It's on Discovery+. Plus. It's a new show. They just did a couple episodes in 2020. Um, we did the Atlanta Olympic Park bombings. And so that sets us up. You don't have to have listened to that episode to enjoy the one that we're about to do. Though it's free
0: and you can just download it. So why wouldn't you?
1: I mean, why not? Today we are going to talk about the Clint Eastwood directed movie,
0: Richard Jewell. Which 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 is based on the same story.
1: Exactly. And so, um...
0: Where do we begin with this? (laughs) Well, you know, Atlanta, 1996, I think is a good place to start. Atlanta,
1: 1996. Um, Typically, when we do the True Crime Movie Time, we're a little bit more um, free-ranging in how we talk about the story. Um, This, As we talked about last week, um, the the essence of the story is that in 1996, a bomb went off in Olympic Centennial Park during the Olympics in Atlanta. The security guard Richard Jewell who was credited initially
0: with finding the bomb. He wasn't just credited with it. He actually found the bomb and saved hundreds of people's lives by clearing them out of the way.
1: Um, The bomb detonated. Uh, It was filled with shrapnel. One person was killed. A second person, a Turkish news state, a state news cameraman, died of a heart attack as he was racing to cover the scene. Um, And hundreds were injured. What's fascinating to me about the movie we're going to talk about today is that it really fills in what felt like gaps in the special that we talked about previously, because essentially what happened was that the FBI began to investigate Richard as they would have investigated anybody in the course of, a, of an investigation into a bombing like that. The person who finds the bomb is always investigated. But somebody with law enforcement, according to what we watched last week, leaked to a reporter who was not named in the special that we watched last week, that Richard Jewell was the primary suspect in the Centennial Park bombings,
0: and that was based on this thing—the lone bomber profile theory, theory or something that they had of the of the of the guy who did it, who was being a, uh, a failed white guy, frustrated law. Enforcement person who, right. with a hero complex or whatever it was, but there was this very sort of specific thing they were able to make um, Richard Jewell fit into that cookie cutter mold that mm-hmm. they had come up with, and perhaps he was in fact their um, primary suspect. I don't know that we necessarily know that from either the movie or the uh, the, uh, the 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 true crime. TV show that we uh, reviewed last time. But whatever the case, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution ran an article saying that he was, and that became fact.
1: That became fact. They then became under pressure because of their own leaks to prove that he was the guy. They tried to trick him into an interview, essentially, which we saw on the special last week. They they told him that
0: they were going to do a training
1: video that was about. I thought that
0: some of that was staged. Like it was weird to me. That was like one of the things we do with the true the the um, crime pairing is that we look at how the movie matches up with the facts that were presented in the other story. And I thought there was a difference there. There was was a sense of this sort of um, almost comical kind of effort to. Uh, they Like they went to his house and said, we're making a training film. Would you like to help us? And, mm-hmm. you know, come, we can. you can just do it. It'll just take a little while and then you can go to work afterwards. And then they presented him with this sort of zany set of circumstances in this comic almost sort of way. And I thought, I don't feel like this is accurate. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they did bring him in. I think they filmed him, like they said, as part of you know as a, as though it was part of training and i think they probably did ask him to sign that paper mm-hmm. um saying that he waived his miranda rights or whatever that he'd been read them and that he was willing to answer questions without but to accuse the fbi of like telling him they were just making a training video and he was such a hero they wanted him to be in it mm-hmm. like one of the things that the movie really capitalized on was the way in which Richard Jewell's sudden fame and media attention turned his head a bit.
1: Mm-hmm. He
0: was he was really a hero. He was interviewed on the Today Show by Katie Couric. He was, you know, the guy who found the bomb and saved those lives. And he seems to have been, or at least the movie depicted him, pretty uh, humble about mm-hmm. it. He said there were lots of heroes and lots of people helping and that he did find the bomb, but that people reacted and helped him do Whatever and it, you know, and they also had given some background that in the true crime TV show yeah. came later, but in this it came not first. in as much
1: detail. Let's talk about where the movie starts because the movie does not begin in Olympic Park. No, the movie begin. I, well, I think there were two sort of prologues. The scenes. movie
0: really, I think, does a pretty good job of showing that he's kind of a failure. He's yeah. kind of had a failed career. He's wants to be in law enforcement. It hasn't really panned out. He has got he started out being a supply guy, the supply mm-hmm. guy at this um legal defense the fund. small
1: business association where he meets a really fiery lawyer named uh, Watson Bryant, who is played by Sam Rockwell in the movie.
0: Best thing that ever happened to Richard Jewell was meeting that guy. and they have an unusual sort of friendship. there's yeah, he really admires um, Watson and Watson is kind to him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that they seemed really close, but you get a sense of him starting out. And then he gets a job working, I guess, the next thing, or at least from the movie, at Piedmont College he as is working a security, a security guard.
1: guard. And there's a scene where he is called to a dorm room full of noisy boys to investigate a noise complaint uh, he's depicted as—the boys are depicted as being hostile, provocative jerks, but he is depicted as being a little bit overly aggressive, forcing his way into the dorm room with no sort of warrant or anything. There's a physical tussle that results. That he pushes one of the boys, and then we cut to Richard in the—I guess the provost or the president of the university's office. Nice. And they lay out some a pretty problematic work history, which includes the fact—which was included in the previous special we right. watched— it, Richard um, was pulling people over off of campus property. And his justification for doing that was, well, better I get them there than on campus where they can cause right, trouble. before which they ever like, get here. It was like,
0: yeah, that's a little not a great theory. And, yeah. and the president, provost, whatever guy, doesn't really buy it. He's pretty – like he listens to it and he's patient. And he apparently even had told the guy that he didn't want any mocking business on campus. But – he didn't mean that he was supposed to be beating up on students or mm-hmm. being overly aggressive. I don't know that he was beating them up. but He, he was, was being, being overly too aggressive. Too aggressive with, um, with the students and with the enforcement and uh, with whatever. Although I would think that would be a really, given the way that students behave, I would think that would be a really hard job. Yeah. Having been physically assaulted by um, a campus uh, authority figure myself. Um, Were you? Yes. When I was um, at a summer... Conference at Georgetown University. Uh, the debate—it was like a con- debate convention. You went and learned to be a better debater. Mm. Um, uh, the final night, that was party night at the dorm, and the guys kind of trashed and teepeed the halls, and everybody was drunk and carried on. And I had actually been quite sick, and was listening to—I uh, think it was called—I got it wasn't called True Crime Theater, but it was some kind of. Um, radio suspense theater thing Mm -hmm. at a neighbor's i'm such a wild man um and i walked across the hall and there was a resident an ra they called them a resident i
1: don't know yeah
0: advisor advisor yeah maybe that's it they're
1: supposed to be advisors but they act like authority figures yeah well he
0: kind of was um and everybody was wild and the hall was crazy and he was sort of standing there looking around at this you know destruction all around (laughs) just it wasn't terrible, but it was trashed. Mm-hmm. There was TP everywhere and that sort of thing. It wasn't like people had been breaking out windows or spray painting the walls. Anyway, I said, oh, everybody try and look sober. There's an RA on the hall. And I went in my room and the next thing I knew the door to my room flew open and he was just, <laughs> he was trying to strangle me. It was oh like, my god, oh my God. Yeah. It was really, it was not, it was a really unpleasant experience. So, you know, I think there is a line.
1: Yes, totally. And
0: I definitely have been on the other side of it, and I feel for the students. But I do also feel that it's difficult to maintain discipline amongst, amidst such a hormonally challenged group of people in the midst of their own uh, finding their own freedom, shall we say? Yeah, totally.
1: So, we go from there to the run-up to the Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia in 1996, which I vividly remember. I'm sure you remember it, too. It was an American Olympics. Yeah. Um, We meet a reporter named Kathy Scruggs, played amazingly by Olivia Wilde. Love Olivia Wilde. Amazing job, but wow. Wow. Also, we're going to get to this portrayal was incredibly controversial, and the controversy around it might have doomed this movie. Uh, And we'll talk about that more. That's what my supplemental material that I brought in is about. But um, she is depicted as being highly aggressive, highly profane, driven entirely by ambition, and she is looking for a story. And she thinks soulless. The Olympics are a bore, and so she has been told to go to Centennial Park. And look for some sort of story. Right. Okay. When she goes to Centennial Park, she also meets an FBI agent named Tom Shaw, played by John Hamm. I think Tom Shaw is fictional. I think Tom Shaw is either a composite... I thought he was supposed to be
0: that Stubbs guy from the previous, whatchamacallit. But But given what's
1: coming, they couldn't call him Stubbs because they would end up in court, so.
0: But yeah, there was a a given of whatever. And he, too, is depicted as, this is so boring and beneath me to be attending these games. I need something. I need action. I need something big and important to happen. And then, kaboom. And- something and, does.
1: And Richard is working security at the park and he is working at the AT&T Communications tower. Um and we show we get scenes leading up to the big event where his mom comes to the park two nights before to see Kenny Rogers play. People are socializing. Richard, again, is very much trying to be good friends with the police officers who are on duty, trying to impress
0: them. Bringing them soft drinks. Right. He keeps soft drinks and water on hand for people who seem like he needed. He's trying to be a good guy and he's trying to do above and beyond to further his own ambitions to be in some way involved in some kind of law enforcement capacity.
1: And we go through a very specific accounting, if you will, of everything that Richard was doing or I guess is reported to have done, at the park prior to the bombing. And we as the audience are shown this in greater detail than Richard himself is able to remember it later in the film when he is interviewed. We see that his time prior to the bombing is accounted for fully. Uh, he engages with some rowdy kids who are drunk behind the tower. Tells them to get lost. They're really hostile. He has to go and get some. There's, there's all we go through all of his sort of pre. Although the more I think about, it, I think that was the prior night. We see two nights, but
0: no, the that next, was the yeah. same night. He went and got the police. He brought them back. Right. They came over, and by that point, the bomb had already been planted. And in the kerfuffle with the kids, that um, he's gone to get the police to try and you know get some order because they won't respect him because. Frankly, he's a security guard for um, AT&T, and they don't really recognize the sovereign authority of AT&T. But Mm -hmm. they do recognize the Atlanta police, and they run for it, and they knock over this bag that they actually had interacted with briefly. Thank goodness nothing bad happened. Richard says it's an abandoned package, and everybody's a little bit dismissive of him. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, this is an abandoned package. This should be checked out. This should— we should do, And he really insists, even though people are not really taking him seriously, kind of because he's that guy. He's that mm-hmm. nebbishy kind of guy who's just really sort of a little too by the books and everybody else is wanting to lighten up about it. And they bring in somebody and they open it up and what do you know, the bag is full of pipe bombs.
1: Three pipe bombs tied together. They The bomb squad guy opens the pipe, uh, the backpack, he reveals the pipe bombs, he turns around and Richard says to the person next to him, in training they tell you, the moment to freak out is when the bomb tech guy turns white, and that's what's happening. Yeah, And so there is a slapdash and largely resisted effort to evacuate the area. Richard, to get
0: people to clear yeah. back 100 feet or something like that. They're trying, and they do okay at it, but not great because they don't even know how long they have. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that has been depicted is the, the, the call to 911. That's correct. Which was seemed to not be taken as seriously by nine one one, even mm-hmm. as as it might have been. Um, There's no it became sense, significant yeah. later, but at the time, it doesn't seem like they even let anybody know that it had happened. I don't know which is true, and it wasn't clear from the um, from the true crime TV uh, coverage of it last week either.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the scene of the bomb going off is an incredibly well-directed and terrifying movie scene I'm
0: Christopher Rice and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn do you have a question or comment about this podcast then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com/ the dinner party show no spaces and we'll do our best to to answer it on the show, just watch out for our
1: aggrieved manservant Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us.
0: Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later.
1: That's right. At Facebook.com/slash/TheDinnerPartyShow. No, I meant in the car.
0: Yeah, I, it was the the bomb sequence was really like because you get the sense of it, nobody is getting the urgency. Everybody is having a good time, has got a little buzz on, has had Mm -hmm. a few beers and whatever, and nobody is really reacting to the urgency. And we as the audience know that there's a bomb and what happened, and they're trying to get them to move. And it... It really does create this sort of anticipatory tension around It's a study in
1: filmmaking, isn't it? Because we all know what's coming and the way they drag it out. What I thought was – usually that can just be annoying, but it was really effective because you didn't know exactly – I didn't know exactly when the bomb was going to go off. I didn't know that the backpack was discovered in that uh, detail.
0: Well, and we had seen the true crime uh, special last week, so – we had a little more information. Like, Mm -hmm. the one woman who was killed is depicted very distinctly Mm -hmm. in the movie. And, like, she's posing for a picture. She's not doing something insidious, but she's also far more focused on posing for the picture than she is on evacuating. Because they're not screaming, bomb, bomb, or, you know, they're trying to get people to evacuate in an orderly fashion. And then... Kaboom! Kaboom! And almost
1: immediately, Richard is a hero. The media descends on him. We see the smarmy AT and T communications guy is setting Richard up for interviews. Sure, it's great PR for AT and T. Yeah, he was our guy. Spotted the bomb and
0: whatever. And right, he's talking to people and he's being again depicted as being pretty humble about all of it.
1: Then we get to the scene that turned this movie into a Twitter and
0: firestorm. It was quite a choice, I have to say, on the part of the movie makers and the scriptwriter. It was like, well, okay, I don't know. I'm not sure you should be making this call. Okay, so um,
1: Kathy Scruggs, played by Olivia Wilde, goes to a bar where John Hamm, the FBI agent, is drinking away his guilt. Over not having predicted this, he says, a bomb went off in my park, how do you think I feel? And basically, she goes full um I don't know what word we'd even be allowed to use but she is sliding her hands up his thighs she is leaning into like She's making it clear
0: a... that with for some information she'd be happy to And that's when the fight
1: started because And that's when the fight started and we're going to fucking get into this okay this is what I went to research because this was really the only thing I saw about this film when it came out was people fighting about this insinuation that Kathy Scruggs had traded sex for tips and the, when the movie came out, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said, um, this, is, this is not true, that Kathy was, quote, not a floozy. But in their own article, they said someone in Scruggs' Rolodex led to the biggest story of her career, but those close to her say it was also her undoing. The report saying investigators were focusing on Jewel days after the bombing was accurate at the time. They questioned him, searched his belongings, and kept him under surveillance for months the Atlanta Journal-Constitution was among the media outlets sued after Jewell was exonerated and the only one that didn't settle. Um, The articles in their entirety were substantially true at the time they were published. So just to tell you, if you don't know what's coming, the information that was alleged to have been exchanged in this moment between the John Hamm character and the Olivia Wilde character is that Richard Jewell is our number one suspect. And Olivia Wilde, who is not shown having sex with John Ham but basically completes the interaction by saying are we going to go back You're to your room we're on you the wanna clock you want to do the
0: car you want to go back up to your room like yeah. she is really like it is it is not unclear that she's going to have sex with him for uh... Giving her this information.
1: So, Ron Martz, who is an Atlanta Journal Constitution, uh, uh, that's that's it, the AJC, we're going to call right. it, so I don't screw up the name. He was interviewed in the special we watched last week. Right. Kathy Scruggs is never named in that special.
0: And she's passed away, is the other part of it, so she can't really defend herself. She can't one defend way or the other. And so nobody actually knows.
1: Nobody actually knows, but here was what her own paper reported about her, that she always drank a fair amount and smoked a fair amount and took drugs. Prozac for depression, Fenfen for weight loss, Lipitor for cholesterol, Xanax for anxiety. She took all the stuff that interacted with each other. In the last year of her life, anguished over the ongoing legal action, Scruggs was on medical leave from the newspaper. Law enforcement loved her, just loved her, said uh, an author, Kent Alexander, who was a former federal prosecutor. The book does note the time police responded at three a.m. when Scruggs refused to get out of a taxi outside of a Buckhead hotel. She was drunk, naked, and sitting in the driver's seat.
0: So yeah, that
1: portrait, like the the sort of go go go.
0: Yeah, on they the said edge, she was the kind of way who would wear a leather mini skirt and fishnet hose to work. Yeah, that totally. she was that sort of person. So it's like,
1: but how the mystery remains how that piece of information was exactly exchanged in that moment, how she got that tip. But she was the one who got that tip. She took it into the office. Ron March was in the office. The scene ran over
0: both of- It was both their byline.
1: Yeah. And so it became, according to the depiction in the movie, the editor of the newspaper decides to scrap their afternoon edition and replace the headline with her something like, Hero security guard is primary suspect in Olympic Park bombing. Right. And Richard Jewell's life just completely goes to fucking yeah. shit, which we talked about in detail, I think, last week. I don't know if we need to go into as much detail about it. We can sort of get into our larger thoughts about well, the movie. Well, I would just
0: say that the movie pretty well followed along with the same sort of timeline. The the questioning, like I say, I felt like what was depicted in the, in the true crime special we watched last week seemed a little more um, subdued mm-hmm. than the sort of... Keystone cops interview that they did, the comic interview that they did with with Richard in this one. I, I I thought that was as much of a misdepiction as characterizing Kathy as having traded sex for the the information. So I you don't thought, believe she traded sex for the information. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea, and so I don't think in in keeping with my feelings last week and this week, I don't think that if you have the informa if you don't have the information, you should convict somebody of it. I <laughs> right. I, I really believe that strongly, even for Kathy, who I would you know like to punch for what she did to poor um to poor Richard. I mm-hmm. just think th- her behavior was as irresponsible as the treatment of her in this movie, and I think the same was true for the treatment of the FBI in this movie. I'm sure they have their problems. Kathy clearly did, but to de- without actual corroboration to say that they did that sort of insane comic, you know, we're going to make a training film. You want to help us make a training film? Mm-hmm. That right. was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think they brought him in. I think they said, we're going to film this. I think they did a lot of things that they that are that are true in here. And I think they also interviewed him more than once, also something that wasn't mm-hmm. part of the um. Part of the movie. They just it was the one time it was this big ridiculous kind of mm-hmm. scene with um John Hamm and the guy who used to play the husband on Cougar Town. Cougar Town who I think is a riot and he's very funny and the scene is kind of comically funny. Mm-hmm. The guy who plays um Richard by the way is one of the uh the henchmen in Cruella. Oh yeah. I'm not sure if he's British or not. The, yeah, the, the character in Cruella was but Emma Thorn isn't, so why should... Um, Emma Stone, Emma Stone. Mean? Emma Thorne. Thorn. Emma Who is Thorn. that? Bella Thorne.
1: I don't know, but I um, like Emma. We should name a character Emma Thorne. Emma Thorne Thorn is great, but okay. yeah,
0: Emma Stone is not... But yeah, but anyway, so it kind of comes off as a comic scene, and then you throw in um, uh, Sam Rockwell's sort of high-pitched response to it, because in the same way as in the story, they get to the place where they ask him to sign the document. And in the movie... By this point, Richard has already been solicited by Simon & Schuster. Mm -hmm. Interesting that Schuster was the person from CNN Mm -hmm. last week. Simon & Schuster has offered him a book deal. And um, Richard has called Watson, his friend, from Mm -hmm. the beginning of the movie, uh, to ask his opinion about it. And Watson says, don't sign anything. Don't sign anything. Get out of there. Without without talking to me. And so then, no, that was with the book. Publishers. Oh, right. So Sorry, then yeah. by the time he gets to being asked to sign the document that is clearly asking him to say that he's waived his Miranda rights and understands that you know mm-hmm. he's entitled to a lawyer and whatever, he says, this is a real document because he fakes signing it. And they mm-hmm. say, no, you have to really sign it. And he said, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that. I need to call my lawyer. And they call him and the lawyer gets and, on the and phone. And do you think that – John Hammond yeah. says – get him the fuck out of there right now.
1: And do you think that bit of stage business, this, the fake signature, which is not in the special, do you no. think that was scripted? Do you think that was an invention of the Th- That's movie? what
0: I'm saying. It's yeah. like it got... They, they over-dramatized that particular thing and it became sort of comical. Mm-hmm. And I think that... I think the thing about the Simon and Schuster thing and then being asked to sign something else, that's a nice connection. Yeah, totally. That sort of works for me. I could believe that. Yeah, like, totally. My lawyer has said don't sign anything, and here I'm being asked to sign something, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to call my lawyer. Now. Yeah. That triggers him calling the lawyer. I thought that was – that seemed believable, but the rest of it seemed a little over the top. Yeah, OK. And that the story is pretty over the top, it kind of fits, but again – It's like, let's be fair about how we're depicting everybody, including the FBI and Kathy Scruggs, even though I think both of them um, should have been charged with something after Mm. what they did to this poor man. Anyway, so
1: uh, the special last week did not identify who finally decided to walk from the payphone where the bomb threat was made to the site of the bombing to see if Richard could have possibly Left, um, made the threat and then returned to his post. Okay, the movie depicts Kathy Scruggs as having made that walk,
0: particularly doing it. They come in to talk to the lawyer and uh, Richard come in to talk to the editor, and the lawyer really takes her to task for what she's done to Richard, mm-hmm. calls her a hack, and that sort of thing. They have yeah. quite a moment in the but it you can see that she's questioning her decision, yes. and. So then in it's like she then begins to do some reporting and she goes to where the phone call was placed and she sees clearly that it couldn't have been him Mm -hmm. who placed the call because he couldn't have placed the call and then gone back to find the bomb and move the people back because it's just too far, too great a distance.
1: Something that was included in the movie, which was not mentioned in the special at all to my recollection, was that the FBI responded to that piece of information by saying, well then – similar to what we saw on our coverage of 2020s taken a few episodes right. ago well then they must have had an accomplice and so they go after a good friend a shooting buddy of richards that we saw at the firing range and accuse with him them of
0: being homosexual lovers yes
1: which for i'm sure was not the language they were using in private about that I'm in 1996 i feel relatively
0: certain that yes. richard is deeply uh, mm-hmm. disturbed by that and wants that off the record as well, yeah. which was maybe a little twingy, um, mm-hmm. but like he's not shitty about it, but he's not okay with it, that they're accusing yeah. him of of that, but he sees it as an accusation and uh, Yeah, and a further attempt
1: anything. to smear him is how yeah. he sort of views it, and it may have been on the part of the FBI that, in that at time. At that point in time it yeah. would have been. It yeah. would
0: have been whatever and so there is some continuing reaction to that, but there is a whole Series of escalating assaults on on Richard on his family. There's the search of the house. There's continuing um, uh, a character assassination in public. Mm-hmm. Um, the media catches the story and goes wild with it. They can't get any kind of anything done. Like it destroys them. It destroys them in much more graphic terms than last week because it's a movie and it's yeah you know and so they're. They're keen to dramatize the way that things work out. But, it's but they also sort of the lay
1: some – it's not blame necessarily, but they continue to depict Richard's inability to not shut up. You know, like they, they do the search and the lawyer says to him when the FBI is coming to search the house, don't say anything. And Richard is still so attached to this idea of seeing himself as a member of law enforcement, seeing himself as one of these guys, quote unquote, that he can't stop being solicitous of them, but he can't stop trying to engage them and in a way that could potentially incriminate himself. Yeah. And they finally have to make him leave the apartment. The lawyer says, okay, we have to go sit outside. Yeah,
0: you, it, it is really like there is some sense of trying to capture Richard's um. Richard's com- uh, complacency I I don't know yeah. that it's that uh, but his own his contribution to his own downfall self the petard that, that he wasted to be yeah mm-hmm. uh, himself upon was of his uh, was in many ways of his own making because what starts the um the uh, FBI down the path of investigating him is is an interview with his boss from Piedmont College who says, I would feel guilty if I didn't say something. I'm not saying that he did this or that I even think he could do this, but if I hadn't said something, I would feel bad.
1: And I thought the depiction of that guy was pretty nuanced. They didn't show him as some mustache-twirling victim who was just out to get Richard. Like the opening scene, Richard has done some really questionable stuff. While working at Piedmont College. Yeah. nothing Nothing on the level of terrorism, but essentially a per impersonating an officer. You yeah. Know, overstepping his professional and boundaries. And trying
0: to be a hero. Yeah. Being the failed uh, non-law enforcement person who's trying to be the hero. That is very much the profile they are looking to fill, and he really is hitting a lot of the, mm-hmm. the marks. Um
1: so we get where we left off with the through line of the movie is that we did the search. Okay, the search is done. Um, they finally bring him in with the lawyer at FBI headquarters right. in Atlanta. How much of that scene did we think was real? It was pretty Hollywood where he finally tells them, you know, you guys stop because harassing Because The lawyer
0: me. has been about telling him. To stand up for himself. And yeah. I think it was probably a composite of things. Mm-hmm. Like, the character, even as it's depicted in the movie, doesn't seem to have the sort of erudition to make a really remarkable speech to the... Mm-hmm. But the thing that he asks them seems really fair. Do you have anything on me or anything you can charge me with? Yeah. Whoa.
1: And the answer to the question of whether or not the FBI had anything to actually charge Richard Jewell with was no. And so they didn't. And eventually, they had to submit a—well, this is, again, the movie talking. I don't know if it unfolded in this way. They provide Richard in person, out of view of any media or cameras, with a letter saying— you know, we're yeah, we're super sorry, we ruined your
0: life. And they didn't say out. that at all. They yeah, just said that it <laughs> appears that you aren't guilty.
1: It appears that you aren't guilty. And the John Hamm character, who again we believe is either a composite or a, a cover for somebody real, says, just so you know, I, I don't believe any of this. I'm just delivering it. I think I you're I guilty to. as hell. And if you listened last week or you know anything about this story, Richard was not only not guilty, somebody else was who went on to bomb two abortion clinics and a gay bar in northwest Georgia a and year later, and Alabama. was on
0: a married manhunt chase for years thereafter before finally being brought in and confessing to everything. And so the movie does not go into really the Eric uh,
1: Rudolph angle of this. It's about Richard Jewell. It's Which not about the bombing. Which I thought was
0: unfortunate. Yeah. They, they, they alluded to the fact that they had caught him he turns up at the police station where Richard Jewell is working as a police officer, right. which I thought was great. Yeah. Glad to see he finally got a job. He looks like he's working at the front desk, but he's still working there. He was working for a police department. And the lawyer comes in and he says they got him. And he says, do you know where he's being arraigned? And he said, I can find
1: out. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: kind of how they leave it. That's how they I it. wanted there to be more of the, it turns out it was this guy. that The sense of, because the thing that really struck me in the the true crime TV club version of this was the sense that this could have been like lives could have been saved Mm -hmm. if they had actually investigated the crime.
1: And they say that earlier. They have that in a dialogue that felt a little bit on the nose. Richard says to one of the FBI agents, "You know, you're you're not you spent wasting all your time on me, and the real guy is out there somewhere, and you're right. not finding him." But that but was it really doesn't come at the true. End.
0: Yeah, and I really would like for that to have been clear. Mm-hmm. Like, and it wasn't because that's not the way that the filmmakers framed it. But I could have done with more of that, less of the um, the retribution and the you know the victimization, and more of the the, you know, the, the outcome, the, the truth of the story.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the end of the movie. Yeah, no, that I is definitely the end of the movie. I went to research the thing that the movie leaves out that I think is interesting is that this ruined Kathy Scruggs' life, too. She Could. descended like... <laughs> it really should have. She died almost at the same age as Richard. Oh, she died dear. at 43. Didn't wish her that. She died of a drug overdose. It really oh, sort my. of began to phase her out. She had battled addiction um, issues her entire life. By the end of her career, she was really doing very little for the paper. Um, the paper had gone through a series of lawsuits and uh, they were refusing to settle because, as they sa- I said earlier, they said the stories were substantively true at the time that they were published, but they hinged on Kathy's source, which she would never reveal. And when not. she died, she was facing potential jail time over it. She was going. She said she would go to jail before she revealed the source. Yeah. Um, uh, she had actually been ordered by a Fulton County judge to to name their tipsters. Ron Marts had been put under the same order as well. And she would say, quote, I will go to jail before I reveal my source. She never did. She was very determined, and the case was on appeal uh, at the time that she died. So when this firestorm erupted around the scene that implied she would traded sex for tips, the movie's screenwriter— did not issue an apology. In fact, he did quite the opposite. His name is Billy Ray. Yes, He's got a quite a resume. He's also a political activist for the Democratic Party, which I think is interesting given the film's kind of conservative bent. The shots of the lawyer and show— And the director. Yeah, a bumper sticker above Sam Yelling Rockwell. Yelling at a chair at the Ro- Mitt Romney
0: nominating convention.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that and I- the bumper sticker, did you see, in Sam Rockwell's office? I fear the government more than I fear terrorism, Mm. which was like, oh, okay, well. That's nice. So the Billy Ray's statement in response to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said this. This movie is about a hero whose life was completely destroyed by myths created by the FBI and the media, specifically the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The AJC hung Richard Jewell in public. They editorialized wildly and printed assumptions as facts. They compared him to noted mass murderer Wayne Williams, and this was after he had saved hundreds of lives. Now a movie comes along 23 years later, a perfect chance for the AJC to atone for what they did to Richard and to admit to their misdeeds. And what do they decide to do? They launch a distraction campaign. They deflect and distort. They focus solely on one single minute minute in a movie that's 129 minutes long, opting to challenge one assertion in the movie rather than accepting their own role in destroying the life of a good man. The movie isn't about Kathy Scruggs. It's about the heroism and hounding of Richard Jewell and what rushed reporting can do to an innocent man. And by the way, I will stand by every word and assertion in the script. So there was that. Good for Billy. And then Olivia Wilde got brought in. Right. And she said, contrary to a swath of recent headlines, I do not believe Kathy traded sex for tips. Nothing in my research suggested she did so, and it was never my intention to suggest that she had. That would be an apolog- appalling and misogynistic dismissal of the difficult work she did. As I understood it, Kathy and the FBI agent who leaked false information to her We're in a pre-existing romantic relationship, not a transactional exchange of sex for information. I cannot speak for the creative decisions made by the filmmakers as I did not have a say in how the film was ultimately crafted. But it's important to me that I share my personal take on the matter. Then Twitter got mad at her because over gender issues and women can be sexual and blah, blah, blah. Um, So she had to issue another statement that said, what I resented was this character being boiled down to one inferred scene and I don't hear anyone complaining about John Hamm's character as being um, inferred that he also had a relationship with a reporter. It feels unfair that Kathy has been minimized in this way. I think that we are still struggling with allowing for female characters who aren't remotely, aren't entirely quote unquote likable If there's anything slightly questionable about a female character, we often use that in relation to condemn that character, condemn the project for allowing for a woman to be impure in a way. It's a misunderstanding. Okay. And basically we're leaving the stuff that we want to talk about with this sort of gender talk, which is a separate conversation. But this this was all I saw about the movie was this debate and this conversation. Um, so
0: congratulations to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution I, for once again covering their ass for having done some of the most irresponsible and unjustifiable reporting that I have ever seen in my entire life.
1: I mean, really. Right up until the end, man.
0: I'm just what scumbags. Yeah. I, you know, I don't wish the mail and I'm a big proponent of, um, of free speech. I was, you know, I'm a gay man in America. Most of mm-hmm. what I have had to say most of my life has been the stuff people don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. So I get how important free speech is. But I also understand that just like the Second Amendment uh, proposing the, that we can keep and bear arms, it doesn't mean that you can keep a howitzer at mm-hmm. your house. Right. You know, free speech is also conditioned on being responsible. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of irresponsible use of free speech, abuse of free speech, Mm-hmm. Um, is something that we're really contending with right mm-hmm. now. We are over communicated and oversaturated social media and twenty four hour media, and all of those things have created an atmosphere in which uh, the truth I don't even know where it where it exists anymore. It doesn't seem to be important to anyone, mm-hmm. and I I think that's really problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that the media has become more committed to their narrative of a story than the actual story mm-hmm. in many cases. When um, the Russians broke into the uh, email accounts of the Hillary Clinton campaign, uh, the all of the— you know, mainstream and left-leaning media became working agents for the Russian government because they never once ran stories questioning where the the, the material had come from and who was behind stealing it. All they wanted to talk about was what was in the emails mm-hmm. because that was their narrative. Hillary and the fucking emails. I was so sick of hearing it by the end of the – And I think people like Rachel Maddow and um, oh uh, Andrea Martin and uh, Andrea not, Mitchell, Mitchell. Yeah. Andrea Mitchell and Chuck Todd and. Those people did more to get Donald Trump elected than, than anybody at Fox News because mm-hmm. they were the ones discouraging people from going to vote because they were not covering the story that was actually happening. Mm-hmm. They were sticking to a narrative that they wanted to promote mm-hmm. when Hillary spoke to the General Assembly at the United Nations about human rights Andrea Mitchell stood in the press pool and asked her about those fucking emails. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, OK, ask her about them. But like, what about the the General Assembly of the United Nations? Does that not count for anything? Mm-hmm. And it didn't right, just recently, Lester Holt who I'm a big fan of he hosts our beloved Dateline and is the he introduces Dateline
1: he doesn't really host it but anyway go you ahead I know what I, I mean. know what you mean Andy yeah.
0: and um and he's the you know the evening news at NBC which I am devoted to and watch on, on a regular basis he did an interview with um our vice president recently where he was committed to a narrative about why didn't you go to the border? Now, she had gone. She's working on immigration issues. And so she went to some of the countries where the immigrants are coming from to see if she could work with those governments on trying to make things more livable mm-hmm. for people in those countries so that they wouldn't need to immigrate to America right. and create the crisis that we're having at the border. It's the source of the problem. It, it's There's nothing complicated about it. She mm-hmm actually went to the source of the problem and all he wanted to talk about was why she wasn't at the border and she kept saying because i'm here talking about the problem mm-hmm. she even said i guess maybe the source of the problem isn't important to some people but i think That we have to deal with it and Mm -hmm. he wouldn't let it up. He's still not letting it up. He was on the news talking about it recently. You told me
1: about this and I went online to look at the tone of the headlines and the headlines were Kamala Harris gets defensive in interview with Lester Holt. It wasn't even about the substance of what they were talking about. It was, oh, she didn't talk to us the way we wanted her to. She got defensive. She she didn't adhere to our agenda. She
0: wouldn't stick with the narrative of the story that we wanted. The crisis is not actually happening at the border. That's where it's winding up. Mm -hmm. But if a dam was failing Mm -hmm. and there was a village at risk, would you go interview people at the village or would you try and fix the dam? Mm -hmm. That's what she was doing. and. He didn't want to hear that because it didn't match up with his story. I don't think he's a bad journalist, but I think it's that kind of myopia. Mm-hmm. You know, Richard Jewell was—they needed a suspect. It filled their story. He was the lone bomber, and so off they went with it. And the the man's girlfriend, last uh, week before last on um, the Taken episode of 2020, yes, the man's girlfriend goes missing, so he must have killed her. And mm-hmm. then she turns up, so it must be gone, girl. You know, mm-hmm. like— Or there's actually a crime that we should be investigating. There's actually something like this idea that the story or having a good story that will attract an audience, a sexy story that will attract an audience, is not more important than the story itself. I think it got it made Sarah Palin a celebrity, this kind of notion. I think it got Donald Trump elected president. It is focusing on the nature of the story over the actual facts mm-hmm. involved in what either we're going to report it. When people broke into the Watergate, <laughs> uh, Woodward and Bernstein didn't go to the Democratic Party and demand what they were hiding. Mm-hmm. They pursued who did the break-in, mm-hmm. and that's why they became the sort of legends that they are. I don't know what's happened to that kind of... Responsible reporting anymore? I just see this sort of—I want the big flashy story and the big headline, and—and and the facts be damned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The combination of that with an irresponsible law enforcement that is more driven by getting a conviction than they are by yeah by providing justice—I I just think we're in a a challenging place, and I don't know what we do to get past it.
1: I, I feel like this started, to my perception. In the 90s. And I was reminded in watching both of these this movie and this documentary because I came of age in the 90s. I was on my way to college when the Olympic Park bombing happened. And I watched a documentary called The Hunting of the President, which was about the, the determined quest to impeach President Bill Clinton. Uh-huh. And they interviewed a reporter who had been involved in some of the coverage at the time— who had some regrets about it in retrospect. And what he said was, we were told as journalists to find the next Watergate. Right. That was our professional instruction. And you keep referencing Woodward and Bernstein, which I think is, is interesting because they were, they had become an example, a professional example that other journalists wanted to follow. Right. And so he, this reporter was saying, and it was we, went, we, went looking, we went looking at Whitewater which was just this fucking real estate transaction about which we found almost nothing of any substance. And somehow, in the contortions around that, we ended up with an an intern that he had had an extramarital affair with. And suddenly, because we couldn't find enough on Whitewater to really charge him with, we decided to pursue his sex life. But it was driven by a media that had been told to find the new version of the scandals that had shaped the previous era. And I I think there's a lot there... That gets at what you're talking about. It that's really the beginning of it, you know that that everybody started aspiring to be some I don't know version of the past that they had in their minds, rather than looking at the evidence that was actually presenting itself to them in the course of their
0: reporting about various issues. Right, and and Watergate has become such a benchmark for reporting right. that if you can bring down a president, wow, mm-hmm. you know, well that's really the you know the ultimate achievement. Like, no, if you can, you know, hold. Uh, public office holders feet to the fire and keep them honest and keep them in service of the public. That would seem like a good goal. To me, the thing that really also, I think in the nineties or just before was the first Gulf war.
1: Oh yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know
0: the 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 twenty four hour news cycle really began with that.
1: Mm-hmm. It was
0: the thing that really made that happen. And it was the end of editorial discretion. Mm-hmm. It was the end of somebody saying, "Yeah, that's a nice story, but there's not enough facts there yet, or that's a great story about Richard Jewell, but there are no real facts there, and they are not it's not a conviction. And so it would be, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not the most responsible thing for us to, Run a headline accusing mm-hmm. him of this crime when nobody is in fact, nobody ever accused him of the crime, except the Atlanta Journal and the mm-hmm. media. The no law enforcement ever did.
1: Mm-hmm. They investigated
0: him, which they should have. Mm-hmm. Don't think anybody objects to that, including Richard Jewell. It was the accusation. and that was entirely driven by the media.
1: I think there's a version of this movie, and it's not my movie to make, where it could have been a dual focus on how what we're describing destroyed both Kathy and Richard simultaneously. That would simultaneously. Really be, I really love that movie. You That's know, a great like, pitch. Because I don't, I was watching those scenes of Kat, Kathy's ambition was depicted in isolation everyone around her was sort of like, whoa, Kathy. But like that editor being all hesitant about why we would run this and Kathy's the only one who wants to run it, I was like, oh, fuck off. You know, like there were, there were other forces yeah. in that room that were saying, go out and get the fucking story, Kathy. I don't care what it is. We need to, it's our Olympics. We need something to splash on the front page. The other thing that I thought sort of faded from the narrative was the desperation to find the guy because of the pressure to cancel the Olympics. That if they didn't identify... A suspect immediately. Like I don't think John Hamm had any time to drink in a bar and be sad about stuff. There was this rush of like we have a threat at our our biggest domestic event. It's an international event, right. really, but it's on our soil. We got to shut it down. We got to find out who the fucking guy is right away. Right, get me ahead. Yeah, that faded from from I, kind of both the special we watched last week and also this movie. But I think when I read that on Kathy, I was like, wow, her life was destroyed by this too.
0: Didn't realize that, yeah. but I can kind of see that happening. And sorry it didn't also include Ron Bratz. Wasn't that yeah, his name? Like, totally. Sorry that he's still working as a journalist, too, because I didn't wish Kathy dead, but clearly they were in the wrong profession.
1: Well, and he is he is played in the—he is the guy she's talking to in the movie, but yeah. he's given a very minimal role in the movie, probably because they were afraid of suing him. But they did use his name without his permission, which is probably why he was so bland. But it was
0: byline. Uh, it, was, it was the two of them were on the byline yeah, for the article right. that, that that ultimately was the what destroyed, the, which is why I'm saying, well, you know, you deserve at least part of this, this blame. Even if it wasn't your source, you were bylined in this particular story. And so yeah. I think you have to take some responsibility. And they kind of didn't.
1: No. And, you know, like the last special said, social media is making all of this worse,
0: not better. Well, it just amplifies this sort of, This absence of due process, Mm -hmm. people should have the right to, you know, in fact be found guilty before they're punished and uh criminated, and then that should be the last word on it. You shouldn't get to continue to punish people just because you found out something bad about them that they'd once been convicted of. Do we not believe in forgiveness? Do we not believe in reform? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I. I, you know, I certainly think you have to be cautious about stuff, but I don't think you have to be, you know, I get now I get my pound of flesh. Now mm-hmm. it's my turn to judge you and punish you. I I don't think that's OK. Yeah. I think that it, it's
1: worth saying, and I think we've sometimes talked about it because this is an issue that we both return to a lot because it's personal to both of us. Is, as gay people, we have been the targets of the mob.
0: Oh, my God. My whole life. Yeah.
1: And it's like I, I remember when all the trolls would come for me. You know, and now when I would be called out for supporting gay marriage, I remember what that was like. And so when I, whenever I see it happening to somebody else and I see the level of response rising to the level of torches and pitchforks, which just sort of baseless insults being thrown at someone to try to shut them down and silence them and cancel them and whatever, right. I, I don't see much of a difference. I don't. The tone seems the same. The rush to judgment seems the same. The ferocity and the anger seems the same. And I find it frightening. And there have been moments when I joined in. I'm not I'll own those, you know, but I started to feel gross every time I did, you know, because where was, as you were saying, where was the due process? How many accusations are being lobbed on the internet
0: and going stratospheric before there's any proof? Right. I think people should be held to account and they should be investigated. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I think you should be, I'm a big believer, you shouldn't do anything in your life that you would be ashamed to read about on the front page. But it shouldn't be characterized as you being just whatever the reporter happens to believe about you. It mm-hmm. should be based on something that you actually did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that's true, then, you know, like absolutely you deserve what happens to you because it's, you know, the logical consequences of your own choices. But you don't deserve to be persecuted for other people's beliefs, which is what gay people have been
1: mm-hmm. most
0: of my life because I believe something you should be punished. Like, right. no, I'm sorry. That's not how that works.
1: hmm. All right, we could go on and on about this, and, and we, we will. will,
0: but not this week.
1: And we will come back to it in future episodes. But that is the end of this episode. That's the end of this crime pairing about Richard Jewell. We hope
0: that you've enjoyed it. We will, and be- it's been the month of like, um, I, I don't know, miscarriage of justice, <laughs> falsely month? accused right? month. Yes, something falsely like that.
1: accused month. It gets our our gets us in a lather, as they say. Next week, let's do something silly. Let's do something zany. Just crazy just let's do the history of stuffed animals let's beanie babies let's talk about beanie babies Uh, okay we won't we won't talk about it we'll we'll talk about we'll look at that
0: in the production meeting we'll get back to you guys
1: it won't be true crime tv club next week because we'd like to alternate but true crime tv club will be back the week after today was technically true crime movie time but those are a rare bird around these parts right but we'll be we'll have more crime if you're this is your first time listening to us we will come back to the subject in the future Uh, But next week, we'll be doing something different. We don't know yet. We'll figure it out. It'll be a surprise. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher.
0: And Eric. Thanks.
1: This is TDPS.